The opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal professional legal advice. Hi, I'm Kristen Holstrom. And I'm Sam McBride, and we are the Custody Queens. We have a new show that we couldn't be more excited about. If you're going through a custody battle, fighting for your parental rights, or going through a horrible divorce, nothing is off limits on our new show. Thought it was love, had kids in between, you can count on us with the custody queens, yeah, you can count on us with the custody queens. Good morning everyone, happy Saturday, I'm Sam McBride, I'm here with Kristen Holstrom, we are the custody queens and we also have a special guest today, Sherry Munson. Good morning. Welcome Sherry, thank you for being here today. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. So today's episode, we are going to really kind of get into some of the intricacies of domestic violence, restraining orders, and it's a heavy subject, but we think it's an important one. So we are so excited to get into it today. Yeah, and if you guys ever have questions about anything that we talk about on the show, specifically related to domestic violence, the process, it can be very overwhelming when you're thinking about it. And oftentimes victims don't even realize that they are a victim until they've been able to process. But if you have that information, please feel free to fill out a web form on our website or call us at 1-800-419-7772. Because as much as we can talk about on this show, each experience is very individual to the person going through it. And we can always take this conversation more personal if you reach out and you call us or you submit that inquiry. That's exactly right. We want to identify the patterns and educate everyone out there so that you can help friends or yourself if you're in need. But give us a call if you if you have any questions regarding that. All right. So one of our new uh, kind of segments that we are going to continue doing is Say This, Not That. So with Say This, Not That, the premise is whenever we're co-parenting, you can say the same sentence a different way. And the goal here is to really limit acrimony between the parties. So our example for today, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and then I'm going to put either Kristen or Sherry, I haven't decided yet, in the hot seat to say how a better way to say that sentence is. So our example for the day is with two co-parents, you have mom, you have dad, whatever it may be, we're talking about other spouses and how you talk to your children. So um, here we have, I'm I'm just going to go with, the woman here says you can't have your new floozy around the kids this is the fifth one you've introduced them to you're pathetic Um, that's obviously a very emotionally charged sentence and when we're talking about co-parenting or we're talking about interacting with our ex-partners we want to kind of put it through a different filter so i'm going to put kristen in the hot seat um and kristen how would you advise someone or what would be a good proposed suggested change So instead of calling my ex's new, you know, girlfriend a floozy, and even if that is your personal opinion of, you know, that person, you are starting a battle the second that that comes out of your mouth. And, you know, I always tell my clients is, how does this help me and how does this hurt me? So a better response to that would be, I would really appreciate if you take the time introducing our children to a person you're dating. I don't think it's it's good for you know their mental health to be introduced to a new woman, you know, every month. So I would really appreciate if we co-parent together and you think twice about introducing our children to a new significant partner. That way you've put it out there, you've memorialized it in writing. It's a concern that's been addressed, but you're not attacking this 
innocent woman who's not involved in your custody case and you're letting your ex-partner know, your co-parenter know, hey, introducing our children to five women in five months is not a good call and we need to assess that together. And both of us need to come to the conclusion that we shouldn't introduce new significant others until it's appropriate. And I don't want to put a time limit on that because it's different in every relationship, but, you know, stay away from the name calling. Yeah. And the reality is why Kristen and I kind of put this segment together and why we want to do this is because we want to illustrate that there are better examples to co-parent. Why is it so important not to attack someone? You might be out there thinking, who cares? I can say whatever I want. I'm pissed off. She is a floozy. I don't know. Uh, and maybe it's true. Like, let's say she's horrible. You really, you're going to get a short term win by saying something mean, you're gonna feel really good for five minutes. And then long-term, you're not gonna go anywhere with it. You're gonna have a co-parent that is shut down, that's easy to attack you. And pretty soon, you do have yourself to blame for at least part of the breakdown in the co-parenting relationship. So what we wanna do is kinda of take a step back and say, hey, how is this gonna help me and our child in the future of co-parenting? And also, I can't use that as exhibits if you're not taking care of your side of the street. So if you're attacking, you know, in a text message or an email and the response could be very helpful to your case, we have to show the chain of the communication. And if you're starting off calling someone a floozy and then calling your co-parenter pathetic, it's very difficult for us as attorneys to use the responses that may be very helpful. So, you know, really work on say this, not that. How does this help me? How does this hurt me? Would my attorney approve? Start kind of putting that in your brain when you're responding to text messages or written communications or even on the phone. And I would add to that is that it's important to pause before you respond. It's so easy when you have that emotional component just racing through you is to just say, okay, I'm gonna to count to five here and then I'm gonna type it out and, and maybe walk away, come back and say, oh, could I fine tune this a little bit? Instead of going on the attack, what I really want to have happen. That's a, such a great point, Sherry. I mean, if it's time sensitive, you may have to respond, but you should still always take that breath. But if it's not time sensitive, I would say sleep it off. Yeah. You know, don't don't have a conversation when you have emotionally charged feelings because you're not going to get where you need to go. Yeah, it's very similar to, uh, you know, putting stuff in your Amazon cart because you're watched an info infomercial and you got to have that item that you just saw on Instagram and then, you know, filling your cart up and then thinking, do I really need 12 different, you know, dresses in the same color? I have to do that with myself because it's an impulse reaction. Right. So it's a great thought, Sherry. Thank you for sharing with us to just kind of calm it down. But let's dive into domestic violence. It is a hard topic. It's an emotional topic, but it is a very important and very relevant topic. It really is. Um, Sherry, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your history in dealing in domestic violence and and family law. The reason I went into being a family law attorney was totally premised on the fact that I have did approximately 11 years in the field of domestic violence. So I worked in a, I was living in Minnesota and I worked in a very large hospital network. And I started out as the advocate and worked with all the patients in the hospital assessing not only when they came in and knew they were being abused, but for all the patients that had no idea. Things weren't right at home, but they always thought it was them. Mm -hmm. Okay, So initially I was the advocate and then I became the director of that program. 
and I lectured and what internationally and uh, locally. And my job was also to educate healthcare professionals on how to identify someone. And then actually one step prior to that, I obtained my master's in social work and my thesis was taking the Kubler-Ross's death and dying um, steps mm -hmm. and putting them in as a screening device for therapists as to help people to understand like if you're totally in that beginning stage and you're just in denial, you know, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And I get that because who wants to be in that position? Right. And this can be men and women. Absolutely. This is domestic violence. It applies to people of, you know, all shapes, colors, sizes, gender. It And it's people that you wouldn't even notice. It could be your best friend that is ashamed and doesn't want to talk about it because she's ashamed and embarrassed. So it, it applies and it hits home to so many more people than we think. So Sherry, how do we define domestic violence? It just It's such a wide range of behaviors and patterns. Is there any way for us to really define it? Well, I think first you have to step back and think about what domestic violence is. It's about power and control. So that helps you kind of get the first layer of what's going on. Did that person just call me a jerk just because they're just sort of mad? Or are they using all those name callings to, to keep that power over me? And is there a pattern of behavior? Yes. Too? I think that's a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, what about, so just for our kind of listeners out there, I. I I think that when the average person thinks about domestic violence, they think about, you know, physical abuse or physical touching. And I I think over a course of time, that would be a little easier to identify. But there's also emotional abuse, threats, and now we have new social media. So Financial coercion. And what all comes under the disturbing one's peace, where the intent is to control and um, to disturb your sense of emotional calm. Can you give our listeners an example of what disturbing someone's emotional peace would be? Well, certainly if someone is accessing your emails on, in, without being given permission, is certainly one. Um, oftentimes, uh, someone that's abusive will go into your private emails, find something that was very confidential, and then post it. Or threaten to post it. Threaten to post it. And, and that includes things like threatening, you know, that person's job with, with their employer. It includes breaking into someone's iCloud account. You know, that's a really big issue that happens in a lot of cases right now is someone has access to the other person's iCloud. And you have to imagine what you can get into in iCloud. You can get text messages. You can get phone numbers. Uh, you can get pictures. You can get everything through the iCloud. So when I have people call me and they say, well, he is tracking me somehow. I don't know how. And I said, okay, tell me. Well, if I'm at Albertsons and I wasn't supposed to go there, he knows I'm there. And I said, okay, well, you know, come in. And oftentimes Sam and I will go through someone's car to see if we can find a tracker. Um, but more often than not, it's some sort of tracking through the phone or the iCloud. And now with the Apple AirTags, uh, that is bringing a whole new issue to domestic violence uh, that we haven't seen before. We know divorce can be difficult and scary when it comes to the custody of your children. I'm Kristen Holstrop. And I'm Sam McBride. And we are the Custody Queens. We are family law attorneys here in Southern California and are committed to compassionate and aggressive representation. With custom case strategies, we can achieve the best outcome for your case. So call us and tell us how the Custody Queens can help you. Call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. The thing about domestic violence is it, 
from my experience, I see with a lot of clients and, and just a lot of people in general and experiences that I've had is that it can be incredibly isolating and people can be in denial of it and, and shameful of it. But what's so important is to understand kind of your facts and whether or not you are a victim. Like that's the first step is to be able to identify it because before you can stop it, you're probably gonna need to identify that something's happened. Um, do you have any sort of advice or anything that you would give to anyone that you think, um, and Chris, Kristen, you can answer this too, that you think is a victim of domestic violence? Like what would be the first step if you if you think this is happening to you? I think initially you should think about who's out in the community you could reach out to. Certainly there are options out there, like I work very heavily with Laura's House. And um, I, what is Laura's House for our listeners? Laura's House is a organization that um, works mostly in the South Orange County, I would say, area. And they certainly provide shelter for people that need to get away from the abuse that they're living in. It also provides, uh, has a legal clinic, which is where I step in and provide pro bono at Holstrom Block and Park, helping out people that really are trying to understand where are they in the legal process and how to get help. They also provide certainly support groups. Um, they provide necessities of life, like, you know, basics to help them out. Yeah, and I, I love the organization Laura's House. Uh, Sam actually did a webinar and was a speaker, uh, and someone from Laura's House was actually a speaker as well. We do have that webinar and that video posted on our custodyqueens.com website, which provides some more information. But I am truly grateful for what Laura's House does. I love that Sherry is part of that and that we can reach so many people. It, it amazes me even almost 12 years into this journey that when I talk to people, part of my you know, mental checklist when I'm taking on a new client is to ask if there's any domestic violence. And more often than not, somebody's knee-jerk reaction is, no, no, no. And I said, okay, well, it's uh, the definition of abuse has broadened significantly over the last few years. Financial coercion is a is defined within abuse now under the family code. So I really have to kind of ask these potential clients or clients very specific questions because they don't realize that the relationship they're in has some domestic violence in it. You know, I, I was talking to someone recently and their answer to me when I asked that was, no, there's no domestic violence. But then it was followed with, well, there's cameras in every room and I have to make a checklist and I have to give that to my partner every morning. And if I deviate from that checklist, he knows. Yeah, and I, I think that one thing that may be valuable for people if you're struggling, in addition to reaching out to an attorney and just kind of going through your facts and having an outside party identified to you, hey, this is consistent with abuse, I think it would be really valuable to kind of write down what's going on. You obviously want to keep that private. And, and make sure no one sees that document, but spend some time writing down the pattern, things that are said to you, incidents that have happened. And then I would say, take a step away from that and then read it later and, and read it kind of from a, an outside perspective. It's, if this was your friend or your mom or your sister handing you this document, do you think that person in there is going through something? Is there power, is there control? Is there something toxic about it? And I, I think it's a powerful way to kind of start identifying it because you know memory can be our best friend and our worst friend. We can gloss over the past and say it was a lot better or worse than it really was. So I think really writing it down may help um, with the identification process. 
So maybe your marriage didn't go as planned, or maybe you didn't pick the best partner to have a child with. Or could it just be baby mama drama? Well, no matter what the situation is, we can help. We are the Custody Queens, and you can call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. If you have questions whether or not you are going through this, is a therapist and a call with an attorney are always a good start. You know, both of those are confidential communications and relationships that will protect you. But a lot of professionals, they don't want to tell, you know, what's going on at home to other people because they're afraid that they would be judged or that this would look bad or it would affect some aspect of their life. But make those calls. Find out what is available to you. Find out if you really are a victim of domestic violence. You know, there is a cycle of abuse. Sherry, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, the cycle is actually was developed in Minnesota, and it's I see it more of a, a wave than the total just circle of it, and and it starts out in um, used to be called the honeymoon phase, and I call it more of the flatline kind of phase where there's just you can kind of it depends on how long you've been in the relationship, but you can tell something's happening, but everything's okay. You're trying to maintain that calm. You'll do whatever it takes. Now the problem with that is it's not you is the other person. So you might do the dishes the exact same way that he, he or she has always wanted you to do them, but boy, on Thursday, you did it wrong. Because it's not about you, okay? And then so you can start feeling it starting to build and that tension, like you can just sense the other person's gonna explode. So you work harder and harder, try to keep the calm, but it's not gonna, and then it explodes and the violence occurs, the abuse occurs, the belittling, the constant berating, the perhaps physical violence or it could be blocking you not letting you leave a room is under the realm of physical abuse and, and sometimes absolutely people never think of that well he just wouldn't let me leave so I just stayed in the bedroom no that is controlling your ability to leave a room um, and then of course once that person um, explodes and is, is abusive then it becomes more of a calm um, makeup time and and again people like that honeymoon phase but i don't i the only thing that happens during that time is that there's peace again okay there's calm it'll start building quickly depending and that periods of calm on both sides of that escalation gets shorter and shorter and shorter and the only thing that happens like oftentimes you'll see it in high affluent families and money buys one thing and that's more silence i worked with a lot of women in minnesota and that case it happened to be mostly women and they were would be sent on a cruise they would be all these things and then of course what their friend says is reinforces their doubt you are so lucky she's she or he is not lucky to be abused what right. happened is they're buying them silence yeah the, the cycle most victims of domestic violence re- they they will try to get help and then they will go back and this cycle happens for many many times many years i will talk to a person that i talked to two years ago that had a pretty significant incident or incidences of domestic violence and then they call me again two years later so it's very common for a victim to take quite a bit of time to get to the point that they're ready to go forward or to come to the realization it's not me i can't change anything about this person and even though we have good moments even though i have a louis vuitton purse even though we've gone on all these vacations and looking at social media we have the best family they come to the realization that they really are a victim 
Yeah, and I, I think, again, a lot of it goes back to understanding first what domestic violence is, but then the next step is, okay, so we know that this cycle of abuse happens, but where are you at when you want to move out of it? You know, what are your options? And a lot of times people don't necessarily understand how the law can help, right? Not just a restraining order if you're going through a divorce and there's some financial control. There are some orders that you can potentially get to put you in a better situation. So that, in my mind, is the next step. You know, you can't always call the police. There are potential criminal actions that could happen. But from a family law standpoint and what what us three ladies do is we can help aid you in a restraining order if necessary. And a restraining order is a powerful tool. Sherry, do you want to explain a little bit about a restraining order? Well, restraining order, you first, there's a lot of forms that will help you fill it out. Too many forms. Uh, There's a lot of forms, especially if there's children involved. That's But it's so important to get that protection. It's just one step in protecting yourself. And that's the important part to remember. It is a very powerful step, but just one step of staying safe. And so you'd come in and you can help you fill out the forms. um, And it's what you would then file with the court. And every county varies slightly on how the process works. So it's very important to talk to an attorney. And, you know, my experience, a lot of time families will come together if there's a financial issue when it comes to domestic violence. Domestic violence is not something that you want to try to do on your own. Absolutely agree. You have to get all the forms filled out so that the judge can take a look at that and read those pleadings. And you put it in the, the severity in the language that the court will see and understand. We know divorce can be difficult and scary when it comes to the custody of your children. I'm Kristen Holstrup. And I'm Sam McBride. And we are the Custody Queens. We are family law attorneys here in Southern California and are committed to compassionate and aggressive representation. With custom case strategies, we can achieve the best outcome for your case. So call us and tell us how the Custody Queens can help you. Call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. Yeah, the process, it can be very overwhelming, especially if you have, you know, a ring doorbell that caught an incident and we need to use that video footage as part of the evidence to try to get a permanent restraining order. Uh, You want to make sure that your exhibits are used in a manner that the court will, you know, um, read them and look at them. And if someone is a witness, we want to make sure that we can make sure that that witness is at court and we can examine them. Uh, All of those things are done and they require an attorney and and you get one kind of shot at this to make sure that you present the facts in the most favorable light so that you know we can protect you and when I ask a client who's retained for a domestic violence case and it's usually combined with uh, a divorce as well if you're married is I have them write their story for me and I have them go back in chronological order and what this does is it allows a person to really see and write themselves how bad the situation is because when I say okay has has so-and-so ever pushed you oh yeah but it was four years ago and when you ask these questions and you have them write it and type it in chronological order, they get to see, wow, it wasn't an isolated incident. There's actually been 10 
incidences that were really concerning over the last year. It can be taking your phone. It can be blocking you from a business. It can be, you know, alienating the children to the point that you don't even know what's going on with the children when they're in that person's care. And it can be abuse on behalf of the children. And you're going in for a restraining order to protect you and the children. So there's so many different things that are involved with getting a restraining order. And it's just, it's one aspect of family law that I would beg each and everyone listening to this is hire an attorney, get a consult, understand the process. A lot of times we will talk to our clients and say, okay, this is the day we're gonna file it. So I need to make sure that you are not at the house. So if this person does blow up, you're not there. So we have a safety plan in place. Where are you gonna go? Do we wanna get an order for that person to be removed from, from the community residence? You know, do you have money that will allow you to live for the next couple months? This is all the, of the questions that we ask when we do this process. I don't just blindly run in and file a restraining order and hope that I figure everything else after. There is a lot of work, thinking, and analysis that goes into this so that we can get the best result for you. And then I always advise my clients to make sure they're, they're getting therapy to deal with the emotional aftermath of what this process will do. It is not easy, it is prolonged. I can tell you dealing with, with COVID and the backlog that the courts were in, some of these trials were taking months and months to get. Um, and so some of these temporary restraining orders were in place for a very long time. Yeah, and I think you just brought up a really good point, Kristen, is we may have to ask for a move out order. A restraining order is a tool. Um, and it can be used to help protect people. But I think often what people don't understand is how valuable of a tool that can be to keep you safe, right? A lot of people say, well, I don't pay the rent and I'm, I'm living under my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my wife's control and I, I have nowhere to go. So I can't file a restraining order. Well, actually you can. If you file a restraining order and you guys are cohabitating and the court grants a temporary order and a permanent order, through that order, they could order your the perpetrator of abuse to be removed from the residence. It's a huge tool. Support can be ordered. Potentially debt payment can be ordered. Prevailing party attorney fees can potentially be ordered. There are a lot of strong orders that can be made through a restraining order. One of the most important orders that I haven't touched on yet is custody and visitation. So if you are a victim of abuse and you have children that you live with or children of the relationship, you can include those children in your restraining order and that, and you can protect them by a result. Sometimes people are concerned, hey, well, if I leave my children will still be here and so I just want to make sure that everyone understands that a, although a restraining order is just a tool it's a powerful one and it can put you in a position that could help you out at least you know emotionally financially and physically getting a period of separation between you and your abuser to kind of allow you to move on safely yeah and and Again, you guys, I don't want to discount this process or not not saying that you can't do it on your own, but there are tools out there. And so I really encourage everyone listening, or if it's your neighbor, your friend, your brother, your sister, I have many, many cases where the man is the victim. So this does not just apply to women out there. This applies in many, many households. And a lot of times, again, it's behind you know, the door that nobody knows about, but encourage them. We have a great webinar that explains all about domestic violence. What is abuse? How does a restraining order work? What are the consequences? Uh, what are the benefits? All of that is on our website on custodyqueens.com. And again, you can reach any of us, all three of us, by filling out a form on our website and we can go through a customized approach on how to handle it. 
But nonetheless, it is a process that one should be ready for emotionally. It is not easy and it takes time and you wanna make sure you have your village there to help you get through it. And part of that village is having a really good attorney that can logistically organize everything. But when you go from two incomes often paying for one household and that changes, your life is going to change. And all three of us are very good at what we do with handling the process but make sure that you have your village and you're getting the necessary therapy and help that you need outside of the legal aspect. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. It's that uh, it's so important to get that support from all angles. And oftentimes it takes a while for your family to understand because they've been isolated. So maybe your marriage didn't go as planned or maybe you didn't pick the best partner to have a child with. Or could it just be baby mama drama? Well, no matter what the situation is, we can help. We are the Custody Queens and you can call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. All right, guys, uh, you know, domestic violence is something that Sam, Sherry, and I are very passionate about. Uh, It is not to be taken lightly, and it's just, it's something that hits home to all of us. And so we are very good at what we do with respect to restraining orders and domestic violence. So do not forget to visit our website, fill out a form, call us at 1-800-419-7772. That's 1-800-419-7772. And I think that that wraps up our episode for the day. Unfortunately, we know it was kind of a tough topic, but Kristen and I and Sherry specifically are really, really passionate about making sure everyone understands what domestic violence is, what abuse is, and what you can do about it. So you're not alone out there. If you have questions, as Kristen mentioned, give us a call. Please tune in every Saturday. Kristen and I love this show so much, and we're so grateful for everyone out there listening to us. That's every Saturday at 8.30 a.m. on Go Country 105. And remember, let love rule. Thought it was love, had kids in between. You can count on us, we're the custody queens. Yeah, you can count on us, we're the custody The opinions expressed on the Custody Queen Show are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for personal, professional legal advice. The persons discussed are fictional and not based on actual clients.